Shazam! Jay Jacobs here with a short follow-up conversation with Hernan Ricarte from Ricarte Precision in Southern California. After the podcast, Hernan had a few questions for me, and we decided to record it so you could listen in. I hope you find it of value. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. I'm here with Hernan Ricarte of Ricarte Precision. We finished up a podcast and Hernan had a few questions for me, so we decided to put these in a separate segment. Hernan, great to be chatting with you. What is on your mind? A lot. And, you know, especially when I get an opportunity to speak to someone like you, as we struggle through and, and find different ways to, to grow, um, I'm always curious to understand what your journey was like. For example, there, there are many things that we're trying to do. My first question to you really is, you know, what are the three most important things that you did at Rapid that you think really help you drive that success that you guys had? Well, I think the first one, which is something that you touched upon in the podcast that we had, is that we really built a culture that was inclusive and team-oriented. And I should say that when I started the company, I was not consciously saying we're going to build culture. It, it is what evolved over time. And at a certain point, I realized we had a culture. Yeah. And it was really cool, though, because... I always wanted to have Rapid be a company where I personally would want to work in any role in the company and feel valued. And as part of feeling valued, and I think one of the reasons we were able to grow so quickly is 
We specifically did not punish people for failure. We wanted people to try things. We wanted them to innovate, come up with new ideas. So that was probably the first thing that it's, I think, really hard to build a company and grow if you're fighting with people. The second thing was we developed a regular meeting rhythm. So we had specific tools. We started out with the Rockefeller Habits, which became scaling up, where we had a structure for meeting weekly, monthly, and then quarterly and annually. The primary benefit of having a regular meeting rhythm is that you're communicating the same information to the same people and everyone gets an opportunity to be heard and contribute to that. So you get the consensus and we all know where we're going. So meetings, a structure to that definitely helped. And I think another point is the one that you have been focused on since you took over is and I'll frame it in the way that we automated the repetitive through technology and computers. And we wanted to free our people up to do people things. And in the podcast, you mentioned a great way is the paperless viewer chat tool enables very quickly communication between people. And it may not even be verbal, but it's automating being really efficient to get all the information necessary for someone to communicate. And then that communication is where the value is, not in preparing an email to send it to somebody so you can have that conversation. Right. That's awesome. And, and those are three awesome things and, and areas that I'm working. But if you, looking back on everything that you did and achieved with the team, if you had to do it over again, Um, what things would you have done differently? Well, it's probably things that I didn't start early enough and that I didn't realize were as important as later on. And that's the culture and being more conscious of building the culture and, and what culture is. We started in 2001. We didn't bring the Rockefeller habits in until about 2010. And we were about... 5 million in revenue then. And after we brought in that tool, we really started to explode from a growth perspective. I think if we had that earlier, perhaps we would not have had some of the stumbling blocks that we had or they wouldn't have been as severe. And then another one you touched on is I had a network of people who I talked to regularly, my mentors, but I didn't really consciously broaden and try to talk to people like different financial people to build my network. I did that later on, but building your network from the get-go would have been a lot more helpful. With regard to the Rockefeller habits, did you have someone from the outside help you implement that? Or is that something you implemented? We initially did it on our own. And then we found that to do it really well, we should have someone from the outside 
coach us. So we worked with the Petra group out of Tennessee and they were fantastic. Then we had a rough spell of, I think around 2015, 2016, where we had to be really conscious with dollars. So we had to part ways with them, nothing from their perspective that they didn't do for us. We didn't have the money to spend, so we brought it back internally. However, we assigned specific people to do things, which was different than what we had before. In your position now in, in, in speaking to so many different small business owners and then people in the industry, what do you see as maybe three common pitfalls that shop owners you know, need to recognize or, or that you see that are somewhat common out there? Well, maybe I'll be a little controversial, but I, I'm on a pricing agenda. Mm-hmm. I really think shops leave a lot of money on the table and they are afraid to raise prices. And I think the first part is a lot of the things that you are doing from a financial perspective to understanding your pricing, but then have the courage to try, let's say you have more demand and capacity, raise prices with maybe not all your customers, but some of them do what they call in the software industry, A-B testing. With group A, you keep the prices the same. With group B, you raise the prices 20%. See what happens. And as part of raising prices, being afraid to, there are customers who you don't make a lot of money on and recognize who they are and try to replace them either or, or bring them up to where you need the profitability, but you can't replace them. And then understanding why the strive for profitability and it goes really more to cash flow because if you don't have cash flow, you can't grow. And if you're profitable, 40% of it's going to the IRS anyway. So you you need a lot of cash to grow, right? I think a second pitfall, it gets back to that culture and it's hard to grow if you are constantly hiring to replace people who are quitting in your organization. So spending the time to replace what you already have takes away from a growth perspective. And and to me, it's a lot easier to keep people happy and it makes it a lot more fun place to work in than to have people leaving. I, I would say it doesn't always, I would say, Paying the highest wages is not necessarily what's going to keep people happy. It's making sure they want to come to work every day. And and people are always going to bitch. That's the nature of the beast. But make sure the bitches are about, I don't know, background rumbling as opposed to real things that are, are issues in the shop. Right. And then I think a, a, a real common pitfall is having an expense mindset versus an investment mindset. Mm. So if you are always looking at spending money as an expense, then you are trying to 
save money and you can only save so much money. But if you have an investment mindset, and this includes people as well, sometimes you make good investments, sometimes you make bad investments. You want to make good, more good investments than bad investments, but you are spending money to make your company better. And you want to make the best investment. Your, your, your capital is limited. So you want to make the best investment, but you, the spending of money as not an expense, but as an investment. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. At what point, you know, in, through, through the cycle, you mentioned that you had, you know, a little bit of a lull from a, from a cash flow, maybe financial standpoint at some point in your growth, but at what point in time did you, in the process of growing the company, did you realize, my gosh, I think we're on the right track here? Where was that? Where was that? Was it at a certain revenue point? Was it as a gross margin point? Was it, you know, a number of people? Or... That's a great question. And it's going to be a different answer for everyone. But for Rapid, it occurred, we started in the middle of the recession in 2001. Mm-hmm. And terrible time to start a company, but in retrospect, it was a great time because it made us focus on the right things just to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And about two years in the economy flipped and people were buying again. And maybe a, a little while after that, we could not keep up with the demand. And I'm a sales guy by background. I, actually like marketing. So I would use marketing to create demand and then be a salesperson and close on that demand. The demand always exceeded our capacity. So I knew that we had a business model and we were unique. We were focused on making quantity one, quoting in 24 hours or less, making the parts in five to seven business days and working from your 3D CAD data, which 20 years ago was not common. Right. So we, we had a business model and people were clamoring to use us. When you have more demand than capacity, that I think is a great metric that you know you're doing the right things. And it could be because your customers are so happy with you, they just want to keep giving you more work. Right. And that, that's a huge measure of success. Did so at our shop, for example, when I started in 2016, we had about a capacity of about 4,000 machining hours. Right now, we're mm-hmm. a little over 10, and that's how I sort of measure, you know, where we are from a capacity standpoint. Did you have that as well? Did you have like, did you look at your availability of machining hours and you know where you started and, and how you were tracking that on a year to year basis? I was not as structured in that approach i was only looking at the number of jobs number of orders the revenue and we like you we went from one shift to two shifts eventually to three shifts we tried to make our equipment facilities as efficient as possible and get as many hours as possible out of the shop got it Awesome. Yeah, that was really good. You're the bomb, dude. You're good. <laughs> yeah, this was, Fernand, this was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. You are the epitome of what is going well in American job shop manufacturing. You took a solid business and you're amplifying what was already there. 
and you are creating capacity you're allowing american manufacturers to build their products in the u.s because mm-hmm. you're giving them quality at a fair price and you are again expanding that capacity because with the supply chains the way they are we know a lot of businesses coming back here maybe not all of it they're, they're going to diversify but some stuff's got to be made here but we need people to make it and right yeah i love how you treat your team and the concept you're bringing back from japan so mm. what, a, what a pleasure chatting with you buddy. likewise jay thank you very much for the opportunity i appreciate it that's it for this short q a with jay until next time keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting have a super day <laughs>